0: and gentlemen now it's too late with alan mosley
1: guys welcome back for another episode of it's too late i am your host alan mosley joined once again this week by the number one producer in late night it's sherry, sherry how's it going
0: hello i feel like i should have applause when that when you announced me so nicely
1: you know <laughs> we talked I, when i say we i say <laughs> me and and the goat guy uh, no, one, no one even remembers his name. <laughs> we talked probably a year ago now because, you know, it's it's been about a y- over a year, I guess, since we've been doing this, this stuff. Yeah. And, and we talked about getting, getting the little board with the sound effects right. and, and having some, I mean, because we, and- we do all the other crap. So. Right. And, and like, I know, I know some people will say, but that's like, it's kind of, it's fake, right? And I was like, you know, when you watch TV, <laughs> <It's> not <real. laughs>
0: that's not real. <laughs> called <laughs> reality TV. Is the most fake.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's not real. And and not only is it not real, but you know, that's not happening right then either. <laughs> that that's been that's been molded and congealed over right. our days and weeks or months even, yeah. and now you're seeing it and all the response. It's it's funny, like. Because we don't have any time for a tangent, so you know what that means. Right, tangent Sounds, time. It's time for a tangent. Is that a lot, people don't realize that if you go back and watch like old, like maybe 70s or 80s or 90s sitcoms, but hmm. you watch a video, I think you can find these on YouTube actually. You watch yeah. ones where they've taken out all the background. There's no hmm. audience, laughter or applause you can like you can hear you can hear the the, the staff eating their subway sandwiches right. behind the camera. <laughs> it's it's kind of eerie. It's yeah. weird, it, and you, it's because you don't realize how accustomed you've become to kind of the whole production. Effect. Yeah, the whole like, effect. It's
0: like watching a scary movie without the soundtrack. You know. Yes, score. exactly. They, they've done that. It's weird.
1: Yeah, so, so speaking of watching a show and having the whole production, guys, I don't know how else to say this. You yeah. have got to get your tickets to the It's Too Late 2020-21. I always say it like that. I'm an idiot.
0: Yeah, I mean, if they can't hear the curse words that you are leaving out.
1: <laughs> I, I tell you, I tell about. you what, I mean, we're always kind of muted for the whole... Broadcast TV kind of how we do our language and all that. But if you if you miss if you miss Alan calling people DSers and and telling them and telling them where they can go the end to get the information they need, yes. you gotta come to the live show at our studio, South of Nashville. That's March twentieth. That's that's not this Saturday, but next Saturday.
0: How do you lose a hundred pounds in a week?
1: I don't know, man. <laughs> I'll tell you how you gain a couple of tons of autism is you invite all your libertarian friends to come to the "It's Too Late" live show. That's March 20th, but you got to have your tickets. facebookcom slash TV. Go to events. Alamosley.tv. Go to events. Go to the Eventbrite page. Get your tickets. I'm going to say this. This is basically the last time I'm saying it because we'll have one more show between now and then. But I mean, it'll basically be a couple of days away then.
0: Right.
1: That I I know for a fact. Because I have seen the messages. I have seen (laughs) people in our private community group messaging back and forth to each other saying, hey, where are you staying for Alan's thing? Hey, we should get together and have brunch. Right. And they haven't, they're not on my list of people who have registered tickets.
0: They are DSers who should not go to that place to get that information. They should go to the event, page
1: and buy yes. the tickets. yes i'm really gonna hate being the guy who when they show up to the event saying <laughs> so i don't see your name on the list here i tell you what i'll tell you what I we're we'll hate it <laughs> this i i cherry I, I, I tell you what this is what we'll do since so many people either think i'm bluffing or they just don't care this is what we'll do i've told people we're not operating a door now to be mm-hmm. fair, it's not because we're we're DSers. It's because we're trying to tape a show and we can't right. we're not going to do a bunch of coming and going. Yeah. It's just like if you you uncultured swine, if you've ever been to a live production before, like the ushers, <laughs> the ushers don't have you in and, and and they like the guys are walking around the stands saying beer, popcorn at a play. Right. They do that at the baseball park. Mm-hmm. They don't do that at a play and it's because they're trying to have a show on right. stage. Like they're 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 kind of busy.
0: Yeah. And we'll you're ruining
1: yeah, so we'll be busy. So everyone's got to get there, get in. I mean, we're gonna have plenty of time to hang out and and have some really awesome desserts and and all that. Mm-hmm. But when it comes time for the show, we're locking the gates and we're doing the right. show. So that's why you got to get there and you got to have your ticket. So right. this is what this is what we'll do. I've told people we're not gonna have a door because we can't have people just showing up. They got to mm-hmm. they got to already be there. It's ten dollars. You go on the eventbrite page, you pay $10. I think like they charge you like a buck or two for processing or whatever, but it's, it's $10 to get a ticket. If you don't have a ticket, but you show up that night, it's $20. All
0: right. I like that.
1: I think, well, I, I don't know what else to say. So anyway, we're moving person. on. It's a working solution. That's what <laughs> we're about here. We're, we're about answers and solutions yes, to problems. that's right. Sherry, have you seen this this kind of new meme craze going around? If you if you have like a before and after, and you have a how it started versus how it's going.
0: Yes, those are great. Okay, some of them are great.
1: <laughs> some of them are great. I I, I kind of put a little one together here for our friend Andrew Cuomo, the governor. You know. <laughs> so this is this is Andrew Cuomo. How it started versus how it's going. How it started. Breaking: New York State Senate Majority Leader Andrew Stewart Cousins says. Governor Cuomo shouldn't resign unless a fourth accuser comes forward. Now, by the way, I just I just want to mention that for for our friends on the left side of the aisle, three rapes, three rapes is understandable. Right. But
0: I, well, unless you're Roy Moore.
1: Yeah, unless you're Roy Rep Moore.
0: Kavanaugh, then Or, you know, Al Franken gets a pass and so does Cuomo.
1: But but if you're going to rape four or more individuals, <laughs> it's a bit much.
0: I th- it's just I, too many rapes.
1: I feel like we can all agree on that part of it at least. Right. So how it started versus how it's going. A fourth woman has accused Andrew Cuomo of sexual harassment.
0: He's crossed their line. Hashtag he, resist.
1: He just he just couldn't help himself. He's like Pepe Le Pew. It It's just ah, Right. He he sees a he sees a cat and he's got he just has to
0: the beautiful woman. Notice I said cat
1: there instead of the other yeah. word.
0: Yeah. You got to be careful.
1: Man. Yeah. You got to be careful. Yeah. So there's, there was another bit of breaking news as well that came from CNN. And, and I want you guys, this isn't really like what we're talking about today, but I want you guys to notice the wording of this headline and see if anything jumps out at you. All right. Mm-hmm. CNN breaking news. The CDC releases guidelines giving limited freedoms to people fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Here are the rules to keep following. Uh, huh. uh, Give, giving limited, fr- the CDC, uh, giving limited just, freedoms right? to people fully vaccinated. I, something that we're going to visit later in the show tonight with our guest, who is famous podcaster and author Tom Woods, is That's wrestling cool. with stupid versus evil. And Mm -hmm. and ignorant versus deliberate when it comes to things like this. And I just got to tell you, check out that headline. I just got to tell you, (laughs) there's no way that who wrote that headline didn't choose those words carefully. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. So, like, like, uh, I know that our people would say, well, of course, the CDC doesn't tell me what I can and can't do. They're Mm -hmm. not they're not the purveyors of what is and isn't my my rights. And I guess I would say they know that too, right? Right. Like, CNN, I don't think CNN is trying to suggest that the CDC has that power, but they would like it if you thought that.
0: Right. I, yeah. I, that means, I think they are trying to suggest that to you, the dumb, yeah. the dumbs of the world, that
1: the dumbs, oh, well,
0: the CDC has allowed us our freedoms back. Yay us. Like,
1: they know uh, that that's not true, but they would yeah. like it if you did think that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But to wrap up the monologue this week, all is not lost. I gotta. Sometimes you ever see those things where it's like, look, there's a lot of bad news out there, but sometimes my my hope in humanity is restored. Right. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. The Minnesota Department of Transportation recently held a contest <laughs> to name their new snowplows for the 2021 season. And those names were selected by popular vote. Uh-huh. Are you ready to see those names?
0: I sure am, Alan.
1: Name a snowplow class of twenty twenty one. There's Darth uh, Blader,
0: <laughs>
1: Duck Duck Orange Truck.
0: Okay. For the plow,
1: kitty. plow Bunyan. Okay, okay, that's not <laughs> bad. Best, yeah. That's not bad. Oh, just gonna plow right past you. <laughs> eh. That that one's mediocre. It's, yeah. F. Salt Fitzgerald.
0: <laughs> That's a highbrow one right there. That's for the academics.
1: I I, I like, I, okay, that one actually is a pleasant surprise. I yeah. like F. Salt Fitzgerald.
0: Somebody put some time and thought into that one.
1: There is, of course, the truck formerly known as Plow. Little, <laughs> little Prince callback. Don't, yeah. don't love it, but you know. Our boy Prince. Well, Prince was from Minnesota. From, was from Minnesota. Yeah, well, there you okay. Well, there you go. Snobby One Kenobi. <laughs> Snoby. Uh, May, maybe, maybe too many Star Wars references, but Snobby One Kenobi is worth it. That's that's good. And honorable mention, the classic. You you can't have an online forum without it. Plowy McPlow McPlowface.
0: Yeah, well. I feel a little culturally appropriated by that one, I must say. You
1: don't you don't like the Irish one? Uh it's Scottish and no. I,
0: I, I think it's cultural appropriation, right?
1: Plowy McPlough Yeah, but you know like <laughs> Don't remember- I have a
0: right to be offended, Alan?
1: The, well remember there was there was Bodie McBookface, which was right? the, the infamous one, which they did do. They actually had a boat with this Bodie, Bodie McBook face on it. Yep. And now they have plowy McPlough. So I don't know, I don't know. I guess all I'm trying to say is is that we got a lot of kind of just pessimistic cynical stuff mm-hmm. to talk about later in the show but All as right. long as we can keep the the memory of plowy mcplow face alive
0: <laughs> we're having showy mcshow face right now
1: <laughs> we're gonna the it's too late 2021 showy McShowface face is march guys it's march 20th you gotta have your tickets to see showy mcshow face guys we have an awesome show for you we're gonna be right back after this break don't you go away I have it on good authority that that gentleman that hosts that show over at 10th Amendment Dinner Center, dot com slash uh. Path to Liberty, is going to be joining us in a couple of weeks.
0: Ooh, he's so dreamy.
1: I know, Michael Bolton <laughs> will be with us. In the meantime, hey, uh, hey, Sherry. Yes. What time is it?
0: Meme of the week.
1: <laughs> All right, gang. Let's see who's really Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> By God, it's Andrew Cuomo.
0: Right. Oh, Go- that's so good. That's so Governor good. Governor Cuomo
1: would have had you kids too if it wasn't for other kids.
0: <laughs> for Biden and his stinky kids. Yeah. Uh, if it wasn't for the won, kid
1: that's too old and the wrong gender, he would have had him another one.
0: <laughs> oh, Lord help us.
1: I'm not trying to say, you know, I'm just saying. Whew. Yeah. I'm I not the correct. I mean, I'm not the rapist. I'm not going to apologize.
0: Right. So. Yeah, I mean, you've raped far less than three people. <laughs> yes.
1: I, <laughs> I'm. I'm going to go on record tonight as saying I've raped less people than Andrew Cuomo.
0: Right. I. I, I would. Yes. Correct. <laughs>
1: well, I'm, cl- I'm glad you are willing to endorse that statement, <laughs> Sherry. Jesus Christ. Right. <laughs> We're going to move on to the viewer mail. So question, questions, maybe uh, a few people's questions, you know, I wonder how many people go back and read that. <laughs> if you're somebody out there that, that actually has, like, you, you have such serious OCD that you're like, I, I got to pause the show, I got to go see what that damn thing said, right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're, you're exactly the type of autistic audience we love.
0: I did that actually.
1: Okay. I, I actually, I, well, I tend to think that the text is pretty cool. So. that's pretty cool. All right. Yeah. Sh- Sherry, you're going to do the viewer mail this for us this week. Yeah, I, have, All right. I have the
0: honor. All, All right. right. So, uh, Andrew Avery writes, uh, Dear Alan and Sherry, mm-hmm. if a person is a horse, are they in stable condition? That's, that's the pun.
1: <laughs> there everyone knows that there's only one acceptable answer to that question right, andrew right? is yeah. nay
0: nay nay
1: all right let's let's all right move it on
0: okay all right suzanne sherman writes dear alan and sherry is a bagel a donut
1: Ooh. I mean, okay
0: have you all had right. a bagel and a donut <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, they're obviously different, but were they classified as the same thing? Okay, so, so I told Suzanne, so first of all, this is how you can know Suzanne really gets us. That's a good question. <laughs> it
0: is a good but, question.
1: But there's actually a good culinary answer to this. This isn't just Alan blowing smoke. So a bagel is not a donut. They are separate categories. Mm-hmm. A donut is a fried cake. Mm-hmm. It, it, the fact that it's a circle with a hole in it, who cares? It's a fried cake. A bagel is a baked bread. Right. But then that, they
0: have cake donuts, too.
1: Well, I know they have cake donuts. It's their but, own
0: separate thing, though.
1: But, well, that's just a type of donut. That's just the name. But a cake donut it is a donut. It's my
0: favorite. The blueberry cake, Krispy Kreme. Oh, child.
1: Hmm. <laughs> right, well... <laughs> uh, we, we better get go that became uncomfortable a little bit. I just,
0: I just felt like Andrew right. Cuomo in his fourth rape. <laughs> All right.
1: All right. Moving on. Right. We're moving on.
0: All right. Uh, Mary Lynn Willamowski writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, what is your favorite deep fried food?
1: I tell you, okay, hold on. I'll, I'll let Sherry answer this one. I'll, I'm going to go ahead and answer Believe it or not, No, I mean, I do like some things that are, that are like fried chicken, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. But, but if you're thinking deep fried, like, you know, you go to the carnival and they have the big vat and like, you know, deep fried Oreos, deep fried everything.
0: Moon pies.
1: I've actually never had any of those things. Really? I've never, I've never like gone out on the limb and said, all right, give me one of them deep fried, whatever the F's and. Right. And had it on the big stick. Right. But, Ice cream,
0: cheese, yeah. I, yeah. You know, my answer to this is I'm Southern. Uh-huh. There ain't nothing I wouldn't eat deep fried. <laughs> like, I know this asks for your favorite, but that's a hard question for a Southerner to answer, okay? I've had a lot of deep fried food that's delicious.
1: Yeah. And, well, I mean, to me, the just in terms of just any fried food, fried chicken. But Fried uh, chicken's so good. Yeah.
0: Oh. Fried okra.
1: I've never had fried okra.
0: What? i green never tomatoes.
1: Fr- I've had, I don't like fried green tomatoes. Uh, so what's wrong with you? I don't know. I, well, I mean, you know, like I said, when you think of the <laughs> carnival things like fried Oreo fried Snickers, I've never.
0: Right.
1: Never had, okay. Anyway, moving on.
0: All right. Uh, so Adam Sakosin writes, dear Alan and Sherry, who was your most influential relative growing up and Why?
1: Well, we know your answer's not your pet sister, that's for damn sure. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess my most influential uh, family member going up would be my dad. Um, you know, I've told people when I've been a guest on other programs when they when they ask the typical coined question of, you know, how did you come to liberty? You know, that sort right. of stuff. Is <laughs> that I'm not I'm not trying to tell you that my dad is like a hardcore principled anarchist. Right. But my dad is your old South. Shoot American. the census man. Yes. Don't trust the government. The, the, the South was right all along. Right. <laughs> no, no. And so a lot, of, a lot of my family, especially on my dad's side of the family, are older family. Mm-hmm. like There's a gener- big generational gap. And so, I mean, you go to a Mosley fan reunion, you're in a room full of people that they don't give two craps what the CDC thinks about what your rights are. It doesn't mean that they're that they wouldn't be lowered themselves to vote Democrat or Republican in one election or another. But their their general switch is I don't trust anything you monsters have to say. And so that's that's what influenced me.
0: Yeah, it's that natural southern anarchism that you and yeah. I have talked about so many times. Like it's not even called that because it's just the cultural, it was the cultural Yeah, it was, you know, unfortunately. Go-to. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Mine would have to be probably my big mama, who was my great grandmother. Um Big Mama. Big mama. Okay. And the whole the whole town called my big mama, big daddy, big mama, big daddy. Um, but uh, you know, she she lived up the hill from me when I was a kid and You know, she would, um, every time we'd come up there, you, she'd fix like a meal for 17 people, even though it was just a couple people. Um, and she would always, uh, put us in her lap and she kept this oil by her, her seat and she would anoint our heads and pray over us. And, and, you know, even though I'm not religious anymore, uh, I still love that about her. And I always knew she loved me and, you know, that she wanted the best for me. So (laughs) I love that.
1: I'm glad this became so much more wholesome than rape episode. <laughs> so I so thank you, Sherry. Anyway, all right, moving on. We're running out of time here. We got to knock these out.
0: Okay, okay. So uh, Eric Eli writes, dear Alan okay. and Sherry, which is worse, hitting your funny bone or stubbing your toe?
1: Uh, stubbing your toe.
0: Yeah, I think so too.
1: Stubbing your toe. Yeah. Correct I'm, answer. And I and I do that way more often too mm-hmm. than hitting my funny bone. Yes. So. It lasts.
0: All right. So Celeste Annis writes, "Dear Alan and Sherry, what is your favorite flavor of Kellogg's ravioli?"
1: Okay, my favorite Kellogg's ravioli is blueberry, but without the frosting. And if you if you don't get that, then you don't watch enough of this show. That's all I can <sighs> say.
0: You're a monster. I, I've had them without the the frosting, and those. Mm-hmm. I mean, that ravioli it has to have the frosting, or I don't even. I want my diabetes with my frosting. Okay. Yeah. I,
1: but what like, flavor though?
0: I think, I think blueberry. As okay. Well.
1: So yeah. Sherry likes frosted blueberry ravioli and, and I like just regular blueberry I ravioli. The strawberries.
0: I haven't had one since I was a kid pretty much. So strawberry yeah. pretty good to do though. All right. Uh, and her, she, she did a part too. Why isn't waffle spelt waffle? So waffle L E versus waffle E L.
1: Um, oh. That sounds like some like Eastern European commie type stuff to me. Yeah,
0: yeah. So,
1: so my, so my answer in the limited time we have is, is because we're God fearing Americans. That's why.
0: <laughs> That's a correct answer right. right there. All right. Okay. All right. So Jonathan Carranza writes, dear Alan and Sherry, is coffee and tea actually vegetable broths?
1: Ooh. I like
0: the way he thinks.
1: So, Jonathan, I saw your question, actually, before the show. Um, I know you guys are shocked that any of this is prepared. Ah, um,
0: I, our staff generally does it. But.
1: I think <laughs> I'm going to add that to the food quiz. That's I think a, you should. That's a good damn question. And and you know why it's a good question is because the answer should be self-evident, but it won't be to everyone. I, you know what, Jonathan? Tea and coffee is vegetable broth.
0: I agree. I think that's correct.
1: You Yeah. Well, see, I mean, that will you... That's why you are a real libertarian, is that you answer right, the... Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, there you are then. We... There you have it. This is, this has been a fruitful viewer mail because we've expanded the quiz. So, so Yeah, thanks. exactly. Thank you. thank you, Jonathan. And to a lesser extent, thank you, Celeste, <laughs> <laughs> but, but she got the ravioli. So there you go. And Suzanne. And That's Suzanne. And yeah, well, Suzanne's question was good, but... yeah. It's, it, it has too much of a real answer to be in the food quiz. What right. makes the food quiz awesome is that I will berate you no matter what your answer is. <laughs> that's, what, that's what makes it good. Guys, we're going to be back with Tom Woods right after this break. Don't go away. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at infotallensley.tv at Guys, welcome back to the show. Our guest today is the New York Times bestselling author of such fantastic books as Meltdown, Nullification, and Real Descent*: A Libertarian Sets Fire to the Index Card of Allowable Opinion, as well as the host of the very popular The Tom Woods Show podcast. And most recently, check it out right here. COVID, it's an ebook, COVID Charts CNN Forgot, which you can get at chartstheyforgot.com. Tom Woods, welcome back to the show.
2: Thanks, Alan. You left out one crucial detail that is uh, central to the Woods Empire. And that okay. is The ebook is free. Remember, it's oh, that's the old right,
1: free ebook once again. Well, I'm I'm not going to spoil it, but we're we're going to get to this ebook versus regular book nonsense at the end of the interview. Okay. But uh, but until then, I. I I know that you've been talking a lot about COVID. I've tried to ignore COVID. We're not going to rehash that whole thing of, well, it's it's a huge topic in the news. You can't avoid it. So, so we're just going to dive right into it. We're recording this right here on March 10th, 2021, uh, 2020, 2021. And I guess it's probably been about 14 months since the COVID-19 sort of entered the conscious, national consciousness, international consciousness but it's, it's been about a year since the infamous 15 days to flatten the curve. So we'll start right there. How surprised are you that this whole chapter in human history has drug on this long?
2: Well, I'm very surprised, and I don't care how cynical people are. When, when they were saying, oh, this will go on for X number of years, they didn't really believe that. Sorry, I don't I don't mm-hmm. buy that even the most cynical person really believed that this many ordinary people would be cheering their own destruction for this long. And they would have so little curiosity about what's going on that they wouldn't seek out alternative points of view or that they couldn't detect propaganda when it was staring them in the face. That surprises the heck out of me. And I'm not I'm. Fairly cynical myself, so yes, it's it's shocking, and in a way, it's um, it's very sobering for those of us like you and me who are trying to work for human freedom, and if it turns out that human beings are kind of indifferent to it. Then, well, I guess then I guess I'm just doing this for my family's sake. Then.
1: Well, yeah. So I mean, kind of piggybacking on on kind of the endurance of this whole thing is that you know, it kind of, I guess the the sort of passive acceptance, you know, maybe the the tolerance to it, or, uh, you know, maybe the blind obedience that a lot of people have had towards, well, this is a crisis. So, you know, during a crisis, we have to kind of all pitch in and we're all in this together. Do you, how much of an eye opener do you think this has been for at least some segments of the population? You know, thinking that kind of rugged American individualism type or the Uh, you know, the old cliche of, oh, it could never happen here type, you know, they would never nationally lock down here. They would never basically institute house arrest here. I mean, is there at least a certain percentage of the population that this might have served as the catalyst to wake them up a little bit?
2: There is. The question is, what is that percentage? I don't know how big it is, but I do know that on my mailing list or at my public events, I do have people who come up to me and say, I'm a lifelong Democrat or I'm a progressive and I'm still a progressive, but I just think my fellow progressives have gotten this so shockingly wrong. I've had others say this was indeed the thing that red pilled me. Now I'm reading every alternative source I can. And I listen to the Tom Woods show every weekday and things like that. I got that when I went out to California last week and spoke to a very eager audience who had many of whom had not really been able to go out and do much of anything because of the policies in California for nearly a year. And I had someone come up to me and say exactly that. So I don't know how we quantify this, but certainly there must be a decent number of ordinary parents out there who maybe they don't know whether to believe Dr. Fauci or not, but they do know that their kids are isolated from their friends and they're for a long time haven't been able to play the traditional sports they would play or socialize in the way they are accustomed to. And I think they look around the world and they see other countries with open schools. They see other states with open schools and and extracurricular activities for the kids. And I think some of them are beginning to ask some questions. And, And that's a good thing. I mean, just the other day, we saw there was a teacher's union that in their private Facebook group, they said, listen... If you go on vacation, don't post your pictures because it's going to make us look bad. I mean, they came right out and said it's going to make us look bad as we're saying it's unsafe to teach in person. Wow. And you're in the Caribbean. Well, you know, the average person does finally get it through his thick skull that something's not right when he sees things like that.
1: Well, I know, Tom, that I've heard you say before that, you know, just in all fairness— uh, a lot of your audience may typically come from the right side of the political spectrum. And that might be more because just you personally haven't had, you've had more success talking to people from the right, you know, maybe because you became from the right, you kind of know how to talk in their language, whereas you've had less success communicating with people that are originating from the left side of the political spectrum. So do you think that the sort of the the age of COVID maybe has, has shifted the balance a little bit and you're getting a little bit more left friendly people that are coming around?
2: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I I definitely have had people, I I even had somebody not too long ago, start donating to my show on a monthly basis, even though he describes himself as a progressive. And then he entered my private group. And I made a special announcement saying, everybody be nice. Stop it. Be nice. (laughs) Because this is an amazing thing that's happening here. So yeah, I think that's true. Now, incidentally, even up to now, I would have a lot. Of, I had somebody say that Meltdown converted him from socialism, which I wasn't even trying to do that in that book. Sure. Somehow it had that effect on him. So my conversion of people from the left has happened rather by accident, whereas the right wing people, and by, by right wing, I mostly mean confused non-leftists. I mean, I don't even think they have a well thought out ideology, most of them. Uh, they just know they don't like Hillary. That's, you know, okay, that's a reasonable start. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I've had people from both sides say, You know that what you're saying to me works. It's that i I generally try to go out and correct the people I see making my earlier mistakes. that That's really why I have the passion to get those people because I think I don't want you to stay stuck where I was. you know, and that's that's why. but you're right. i I do think that this has a little bit broken down the the left, right divide and the red and blue divide but not as much as it should have, because there's there's no reason that this should be political. I mean, there's no reason that, I mean, I understand why the alleged public health establishment favors all this craziness and the political class wants to make it look like they're doing something and that they can stop this thing. And they have an interest in making us believe that the state protects us from major disasters. I, I understand that. The idea that so many ordinary people have bought into this and Not nearly as many have peeled away from it as should have uh, is still disheartening.
1: Well, I, I wanted to spend some of today talking a little bit more, kind of, about the meta political and cultural ramifications of the pandemic, as opposed to just looking at some of the charts and graphs. Not that you haven't done a fantastic job of highlighting those, but I kind of have the attitude that at this point, you're you're blue-pilled or or you're red-pilled, right? Like you either just believe what Dr. Fauci says and there's just no amount of evidence to the contrary that could sway you, or you took five minutes of your time to look at evidence and you at a minimum are open to suggestion. So uh, one of the questions I had for you is, uh, what factors do you think have contributed to the COVID-19 sort of panic hysteria being treated so differently than health or other crises in the past?
2: It's a good question, uh, because we have had other crises. and we uh, um, Now, it could you could say that this one's more serious, in that obviously compared to H1N1 or something, it mm-hmm. is obviously more serious, and it's more contagious, and people can indeed die from it, and um, that could well be it. But I don't think that's exclusively it. I think it was a, probably a perfect storm of factors and i you know i'd like to say that i think trump played a role in this in that whatever trump's strategy was there were people who just had to believe that the correct approach must be the opposite even though it was trump who you know maybe in without realizing the mistake he was making put dr fauci front and center that they, they don't stop to think about that uh it was he did that and and he was the one who criticized Governor Kemp in Georgia. He, not Fauci, but but uh, Trump himself, criticized Governor Kemp for opening too early when he allowed uh, restaurants to reopen and some, you know, like, uh, I got a haircut in Georgia in late April because as soon as it opened, up we went from Florida. Sure. We were ready to check it out. But I think partly it was that, but then that wouldn't explain why the, the hysteria was global. Uh, and sure. it really was global. So... I, I mean, I, it's hard to really, I mean, you you could say, I know there are a lot of people who say, well, this is their opportunity to implement this policy or that policy or get people accustomed to climate related shutdowns or whatever, or, or just simply that the ruling class so despises the average person that it just wants to make everybody miserable. Well, I suppose that's a possibility. I mean, but on the other hand, I think the ruling class also likes live music. And I think the ruling class also likes to be at exclusive resorts without masks or whatever the rest of the nonsense is. So I'm not entirely certain as to the the, the full because I'm I, sorry, I don't buy that. I, I don't buy some of the stories about this villain or that villain or I, I just it's too cartoonish for me. It, it doesn't explain why some country like uh, Malawi was considering locking down. I mean th- sure. this is a country that lives hand to mouth if they lock down people literally starve I mean it's not it's not a metaphor people literally starve if they lock down and they, the only reason they didn't lock down was that there was a national uprising against the regime and they decided that they'd better not try to lock down but I'm but trump derangement syndrome or bill gates or whatever cannot explain why a country like Malawi with very little risk because they have a, a much younger population as do most of the African countries have a much younger population than in Asia or Europe, why they would even be contemplating such a thing. Uh, I, I don't know. It's just, it's like one, I, I think some, in some cases it was a matter of, they looked at videos out of China where they seemed, it seemed like people were just collapsing in the middle of the street, which it's not, that's not happening, but they looked at that. And they looked at how severely the Chinese were responding. And oh, so many times on social media, I saw people saying China wouldn't be responding like this if it weren't really, really uh, significant. Okay, maybe. Uh, Or maybe they're just crazy communists who do crazy things and you can't trust anything they do. Uh, Or, as some people have suggested, um, maybe they spread the propaganda that lockdowns worked here so as to snooker the West into doing it because shortly thereafter, China reopened, and basically what looks like happened with China is that they just started ignoring it, by and large. They realized it's not really that big a deal, and they just more or less ignored it after a while. But meanwhile, the the West had taken the bait and decided to start shooting itself in the foot, in the arm, in the head. And, um, you know, I mean. <laughs> I, I hate to be a conspiracy theorist in that way, that the Chinese commies are kind of behind it, but everybody wanted to suddenly chuck the pre-2020 model of what to do during pandemics and immediately embrace the Chinese communist lockdown model. I mean, what what's going on here?
1: Well, it's, it is a tough question, but I feel like it's a question worth kind of hashing out a little bit. So I, on, on a personal level, I always wrestle with the the stupid versus evil paradigm. And, and I'll admit that I have in the past been one who maybe just out of hatred or anger for the establishment. I said, oh, all of these people, this whole blanket institution and everyone involved, they're all evil. Every single one of them are, are all little wannabe Hitlers. Um, But maybe as I've gotten older and and tempered that a little bit, I've I've fallen more into the category of, well, they're they're also unbelievably maybe they're naive, maybe they're ignorant, um, you know, or, you know, maybe there's an establishment narrative. So if you're just a run of the mill congressman or senator or or even governor or mayor, you're just sort of kind of going along with what the trend is because it's the trend. And that's that's as much intellectual rigor as you put into it. So I I'm, I'm I'm willing to accept that that stupidity versus evil can can be used to explain some some bad actors. On the other hand, when you think of things like people have shared the screenshots of of the World Health Organization's website where they have an explanation of what herd immunity is and then Oh, I know and then they change the definition. Yes. Yeah, that's well, sinister. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to kick it back to you right there. So when you see where they changed the definition, which, by the way, this just goes to show you that boomers still control all of these organizations because the Internet is forever. My friend, if they think that people aren't going to have what herd immunity was defined as five minutes ago versus now, you're you're sorely mistaken when you see that. Now, that sort of thing makes me think, oh, yeah, there's an agenda here at play. This is not ignorance. This is evil.
2: Yeah. But the thing is, they could they could. Why didn't they do this? And, you know, there were other opportunities they had. Like, why now? Uh, It's is not clear. But yeah, I I don't need to be. I know that there are sinister people around the world. But the the issue would be, would you deliberately cause this much wealth destruction and this much instability? I mean, the the, the elites in the world also don't want instability. Because first of all, it makes it look like they don't know what they're doing. So the idea, for example, like the Fed deliberately created the downturn of 2008. That's just ridiculous. That, of course, they didn't do that. Entire investment houses came down in that in that crisis. There's no way, no one wanted that, okay? And and so it's, that I just want to keep our heads on straight here. They, they sure. have no interest in having that happen. And likewise, I am quite sure a lot of people's portfolios, a lot of very influential people's portfolios were decimated by this. Mm-hmm. So- I I can't just go with well the elites just are de- well it's got to be an extremely extremely tiny sliver that has somehow just managed to to brainwash everybody. But on the other hand, yeah, of course I I know there are sinister people all around us. It's how do they get how do they get hundreds of millions of people to think they're they're, they're doing the right thing is the real question and that I don't have an answer to. But the World Economic Forum did even worse than the world the WHO. Uh, they had this tweet along with a 60-second video you may have seen a couple of weeks ago in which they said lockdowns are improving cities Mm -hmm. around the world. And in what way? Because there's a lot less ambient noise. Well, yeah, when (laughs) everyone's locked at home, there would be less noise. And this is allowing scientists to predict earthquakes a little bit more accurately. I mean, just like the most irrelevant, ridiculous kind of observation of all. And they finally had to actually take that down because even Even the crazy lockdown people wouldn't actually say our cities are better now that I mean, their whole argument has been um, we only have to take these extreme measures because the virus is just so scary. They haven't said, oh, I mean, from the from the very beginning, it was, um, look, we're asking you to make a pretty big sacrifice here, but it's because we've got to preserve resources for the hospitals and whatever. And the World Economic Forum is acting like, oh, well, isn't it nice that, uh, you know, has it been quieter where you are? Like, they were actually trying to generate a conversation. They actually (laughs) thought people would say, oh, you know, that's funny. It has been kind of quiet in my neighborhood since the lockdown. And they had to finally take it down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I I believe the World Economic Forum thinks um, the best thing to do is to try to impoverish countries as much as possible. And that way we'll usher in communism there. So, sorry but if you you bring about that much um unrest and instability you have no idea where that's going to go even the ruling elite cannot predict where that's going to go
1: well the kind of the the conversation of propaganda surrounding such a huge mankind event such as this one is is a really touchy or tricky conversation because for one you know the 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 most tin hat conspiracy theorists aside you know, th- absolutely, there's propaganda. There's propaganda all around you touting all sorts of different things. But that, but that's not to say that every single organization, every single world government, every single corporation is all on the same... Like, they're not all having a meeting and deciding what today's propaganda will be. And, you know, it's not like everyone is in on it, per se. They may all have similar agendas, but they're not physically sitting there with a team of writers crafting it. And so uh, one thing I kind of wanted to bring up is... You know, as as we're moving into 2021, and of course, we do have a new administration and and something you had touched on just a second ago that on the one hand, they've spent months, if not a year at this point, spreading fear, spreading panic. and, And I and I am willing to go out on a limb and say, well, that's because they want they want people to be obedient. And one way to do that is to get people afraid, get people dependent on government, believing that the state has your best interests at heart. On the other hand, the, the double-edged sword there, though, is that if you're Biden and you wake up tomorrow and you decide, well, and whether it's because I love society or whether it's because it's my own vanity, I want the economy to rebound. I want things to improve because I want to preside over plenty, right? That's going to make me look good. That's going to make my administration look good. It's going to make my party look good. But after it, you run the risk, though, that if you just spend a year propagandizing people that the sky is falling... You, some of those people might have taken that bait so hard that now that you've decided, all right, guys, time to circle the wagons, everything's hunky-dory again, some people are going to remain fearful and skeptic, which is now yeah. going to hurt you. You're, you you propagandize too hard. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah. Well, that's already happened in New York when Cuomo said, look, if we don't open, there isn't going to be anything left to open. Sure. He said that in January. And the comments were from crazed hysterics who basically just don't seem to think we should ever open. And then Governor Hogan in Maryland, who's been a disaster, just recently said he's opening restaurants, bars and other kinds of places. And there's been massive uh, pushback against that. So, yeah, that's the problem is that they've gotten everybody terrified. And so once they – it's funny, Cuomo at one point was very frank. Uh, in a conversation with Jewish leaders, he said something like, you know, I get that obviously we would want to have a more targeted approach. Like we don't want to shut down all the schools, obviously. We would want to focus our our attention on particular clusters. But unfortunately, people are, are hysterically frightened, and so you can't do sensible policy at a time like that. But as they get less frightened, we'll be able to have more targeted policy. Okay, so he knew it. Right, so that that proves it. He knew that the policy makes no sense, and it's just in response to hysteria. Uh, but you're right. How do you emerge from that? The what will eventually have to happen is at this point we're seeing Texas says they're opening fully, Mississippi's opening fully, Arizona's opening fully, Cal, uh, not California. Cal, California's opening a tiny bit. Connecticut is has uh, you know, still has a bunch of restrictions, but just said that a, a whole variety of classes of business could open at a hundred percent, what will have to happen is people will have to see that in these states, nothing catastrophic is happening. Mm-hmm. It, even if these states are, are 2% worse, 2% worse when we were told that, you know, all the hysteria, eventually some normal people have to come off the fence at that point. And, and if they don't, then I guess we just have to wish them well and say, you know, I hope you enjoy your life. Uh, eating cans of dried navy beans in your home for the rest of your life, but the but the rest of us understand that we're not on this earth to stay confined in our homes. We're here to live, and we're going to go do that.
1: Well, to to switch gears a little bit, the speaking specifically of like the worst actors in in this whole crisis, you know, think thinking of the ones that were spreading the most fear and panic around COVID nineteen. Uh, think about people whose actions could demonstrantly be shown to have negatively affected health outcomes, you know, Allah and Andrew Cuomo um, or, you know, or other mayors and governors that were really particularly zealous about locking down their communities or still lock down their communities to this very day. The, I, I, I know that you're a cynic like me, so I'm afraid I know the answer to this. But do you think that those individuals really will suffer any real consequences for their actions politically or otherwise?
2: Well, I mean, obviously Cuomo is suffering, but it, the, that whole thing is very strange, isn't it?
1: Yes. And he's
2: suffering. Yes, I, I know that there are sexual um, harassment allegations and stuff like that, but the, the key thing even before that emerged was the nursing home scandal and the, mm-hmm. the numbers being fudged and stuff like that. But apart from a few minor details about that, we've pretty much known that forever and for the longest time, that was some crazy right wing conspiracy theory that nobody needs to listen to, because also Trump believed it. So that means it's automatically false. So no sure. one could think rationally about this. And then all of a sudden, everyone from everywhere—the New York Times, the the mass media in general, um, Doctor Osterholm, who it was on the COVID uh, the COVID team and under Biden—you uh, imme- know—said, "Hey, uh, I had nothing to do with Cuomo. I barely even know the guy." You know, all of a sudden, it, you know, we use this expression, the memo went out. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I genuinely think a legitimate memo went out. I, I mean, it's <laughs> not quite that crudely, but I think it, it is not an accident that all of a sudden this darling boy is being taken down. And there are a lot of theories as to why it, it's happening and who might be behind it. But it's too unanimous. I mean, the establishment does not act in concert like this just by accident. You know, it just, it, you know, it's not happenstance, but okay. So Cuomo may in fact wind up going, but yet, as, as you know, there are other governors that were every bit as bad as he was. Sure. And the question is, will they wind up suffering? And it looks like certainly some of them are going to wind up getting bailed out by the white house or by the, you know, the, the U S government, which is the thing I most wanted to see avoided could sure. not ward these blue States for what they did to people. And at the expense of the red states or the expense of the more open states, there's no reason the open states should be subsidizing the closed ones. That's awful. Uh, but th- the only way anything's going to happen to anybody is if people ever come to the realization that they've been had, that you just wasted a year of your life for nothing, for absolutely nothing. Because you, you can look at counterexamples of places that didn't close, and they're pretty comparable to places that did. Now, they shouldn't be pretty comparable they should be a thousand times worse off, not pretty comparable. And, you know, I was just the other day, Matt Iglesias was saying, look, Florida is 10% worse than California. I kid you not. It's 10% worse in uh, deaths per million. Now, of course, if you factor in that Florida has one of the oldest populations in the country and California has the sixth youngest population in the country,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: that alone explains that trivial difference between them. But- Remember when Florida opened, I remember this vividly because I live here, it, when it opened fully in September 2020, w- we were not being told, uh, hey, be careful, Florida, if you open, you might be 10% worse. <laughs> no, no one was saying that, Alan. They, they, they were not <laughs> saying, if, if, if you open, you're going to have results that are going to be right in the middle of the pack. <laughs> of course, no, you're going to be the death capital of America, if not the world. And now they're reduced to saying, well, Florida is 10 percent worse than one of the youngest states in the country. OK. You know, well, so, I mean, if we can ever get that information out to the public, then something will happen. But r- r- unfortunately, right now, the propaganda has been astoundingly effective.
1: It it has. And it and it kind of makes me think of, you know, it's it's kind of the attitude of, well, if you're trying to teach your kid to swim, you just shove them in the pool because once they get in the water and all of a sudden the water doesn't swallow them up like a monster, they realize it's not actually that scary or dangerous. it It makes me think of here in Tennessee. Now, in some of the deeper blue big city metros, you think Memphis in the west, Nashville in the middle, and Knoxville in the east, they still have some shenanigans going on. There's still some regulations on uh, capacity at the restaurants, or maybe you have to wear a mask or whatever. But for most of Tennessee, most of all the rest of that big chunk of red rural area, there's nothing at all, and there hasn't been anything at all for months but i remember uh, g- using columbia tennessee as a perfect example where our studios are which is set about 30 45 minutes south of nashville there was a percentage of the population that when when the announcement was made of hey we're lockdowns are over we're you know, pandemic's done, Columbia open. There was a percentage of the population that were critical. There, there was sort of, the, sort of the pseudo left side of an otherwise red area was saying, well, no, 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 you know, let's not be too hasty because, you know, look at all this data. It's still very dangerous. If we open up too soon, there's going to be a huge spike, yada, yada, yada. But when they just went ahead and did it, it didn't take long before those criticisms went away, just like shoving the kid in the pool. I mean, in all for all the for let's say the forty percent of the community that was saying, "Well, let's not open up yet. It's still dangerous." Once the community had been open up for just a couple of weeks, and once those people got to remember what it was like to live a normal life, all of a sudden they weren't opposing it anymore. Imagine that.
2: Okay, well, that is actually interesting to hear. Um, I, I guess in Florida it's a little bit different because we're like a flashpoint for the whole country because everyone is using Florida to illustrate their point one way or the other. And so people have kind of dug in their heels in Florida. They're, they're going to stick with Florida's... I mean, in a way, your whole worldview comes down to how do you think Florida handled this? Mm-hmm. So it's hard for people just to look at things practically here. It's it's an ideological statement. Uh, so it's been harder to get people... Cause I'm just astonished at the number of people who still think Uh, who still call our governor Death Santis. Okay, well, but if Florida is number 28 in deaths per million, number 28 out of 50, even though it has one of the oldest populations, so it should be in the top five. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's all the way down at number 28, while at the same time you can go to theme parks. I've gone to a couple of plays. You can go to, you know, see live music. You can go to full capacity restaurants. You can have a wedding with 400 people at the reception. It, it, the idea that it would be only 28, that's, that's crazy. And yet that's not enough. These people are still screaming at him. I, I, I don't even understand what their argument could be at this point.
1: Well, so, okay. So speaking of that then, you know, I so I, I go on record. I'm pretty skeptical that the worst actors will ever really suffer any real consequences for kind of how the pandemic well, played out. Well, I mean, out. think about
2: the Iraq War. I mean, nobody suffered for that.
1: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And and I'm and I'm also, by the way, kind of on the token that I've seen. I've seen some people. I I, I won't name them just because I'm I'm not trying to drag anybody through the mud. But there's been there have been some people that have been great on the lockdown since day one. That then fast forward to today, they've said. Well, I can't wait until these dirty SOBs are brought to justice. And I and I and and while I'm great that they were anti-lockdown, I shake my head at that sort of rhetoric cuz I think that won't happen not only will that not happen but if you think that the that the establishment that's writing the third grade social studies textbook as we speak is going to write in there that the lockdowns were a mistake as opposed to you know think of you know they're still writing books saying the new deal fixed the depression world war II got us out of it if they're still writing that at this point then i promise yeah. you the new textbooks are going to say that lockdowns and mandates solved the pandemic yeah, i mean and, and and, am way, i wrong I jump in here This
2: is why I think it's important for, I know people would want me to do it, but somebody has to do it. Somebody has to write a book chapter, just a chapter Mm -hmm. that you can substitute in for your American history textbook for the years 2016 through 2021, because nothing, literally nothing you read about those years, or 2017 maybe, Mm -hmm. nothing you read about those years is going to be true, almost nothing, or it's going to be half-truths or it's gonna be long exploded myths or whatever. It's gonna be all propaganda and nonsense, and especially about the virus. They, yeah. They'll talk about, uh, they'll claim that uh, people who didn't wear masks had all kinds of problems and they caused this and that. Uh, they'll, they'll say that, that social distancing helped a lot. They won't show any charts that throw cold water on this, that if you, if you graph health outcomes versus social mobility, there's, the results are entirely random. Same with introduction of mask mandates. Results are entirely random. Uh, if, you, if, if you graph, um, so, so we've got mask wearing, we've got staying at home, um, we've got lockdown stringency, all these sorts of ways of measuring how much stuff was being done in a particular place. None of it correlates with anything, but none of that will show up in a textbook. It'll all be a cartoon about mm-hmm. the scientific people wore masks and the scientific people kept their distance and didn't travel and stayed in their homes. So basically we need to have a website uh, you know I, we could think of we could call it uh, uh 2020chapter.com or something like that where mm-hmm. kids across the country just download that chapter just absolutely ignore what's in your textbook. If you really want to know the truth and just download that chapter. I don't know what else we can do because of course, yeah, every textbook is going to be a lying piece of propaganda about this. No doubt about it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree completely. Well, that's, that's a perfect place to transition because I know we're starting to run short on time. So I know that you've said in the past that maybe you had considered writing a, a, a long form book, kind of encapsulating the age of COVID, but I, but you ultimately decided against it, which I know, I know we have COVID charts seen and forgot, which we showed everybody uh, at the start of the interview. So I'll let you off the hook for that one. But I, I, I would be remiss to ask you this. It's been almost seven years, Tom, I believe, since Real Descent came out. When are your loyal readers going to get another long form book from the New York Times bestselling author?
2: Well, it's a good question, but I'll say this about the virus book. The thing is, there, there's already a good book, The Price of Panic. Um, Alex Berenson just signed with regnery to write a book. Uh, it won't be as uh, sliced their heads off as mine would have been, but it, it'll <laughs> still pretty good. Sure. So I feel like th- there's a lot of duplication of effort going on there. Whereas with Meltdown, there really wasn't. There, there were other books on the financial crisis written from a free market perspective, but not really from an Austrian perspective. Like they were going after certain federal legislation. I was going directly at the federal reserve. So that made that a little bit different. But I guess the answer is what I like to do today is I like to write to my newsletter subscribers. I I write, that's where I do my writing every day. I mean, every single weekday, I churn something out for them. Um, which by the way, when you go to ChartsTheyForgot.com, you get the ebook. You also wind up on my list. And if you hate it, it just takes one click to get off that list. But I don't think you will because I'm really happy with it. And I, I just like doing that. I don't, I don't have the kind of deadlines I used to that used to make me crazy. And it's, it's a lot of work. And I, I just – I don't enjoy p- uh, promoting a book. If I'm going to write a book, I want a lot of people to read it. Sure. And in order to do that, you have to promote it like crazy. And it's, it's just discouraging promoting a product that even if somebody buys the hardcover – you're going to earn like $3.50, you know, like True. that, like I'm killing myself staying up all night doing these crazy midnight talk shows and whatever. I just don't have the energy to do that anymore. And, but also I don't want to write a book for the sake of writing a book. I did that once. I'm not going to tell you which one it was. I did that once and I don't like that. And right now I just don't feel driven to do it. it all the other ones I did, I felt driven to write them. I had a, I had a passion for it. And now I feel like I've said what I need to say. I don't think that what the libertarian world lacks is books. I think we have books in abundance. So what I do is talk about current events, and I try to explain this, uh, you know, what's going on in the world in ways that make sense for libertarians. And I create courses so that people can, you know, learn a whole bunch of subjects, uh, not, not through books, but through uh, the spoken word. And so I like to do things like that that are ways of reaching people in other ways. So I still have the the stable of books that I've written and people can buy those and I'm really proud of them. But now I've moved into different media that I use to convey the message. And I think I'm reaching as many people, if not more doing that. So until there comes a day where I just feel like I have to do this, then I don't, I don't want to because then I would just feel like I was doing it as a chore or because people expected it of me and, I mean, like, imagine a musician doing a new album mm-hmm. that his heart wasn't in, just because sure. people wanted him to do it. You know, like we know it would be crummy.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, I, uh, only a handful of people know that I'm actually in the midst of working on my first book, and and I and I, and I won't get into the details much here. I'll I'll tell you a little bit more about it off air. But just to say, it's it's the whole direction of it is a little bit different than your typical book, and the main reason is is that. The, the, the whole concept of, well, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write a tome that is the definitive, you know, the definitive edition on X topic. That's just not me. That's just not really who I am. I, I mean, I could do that, but I, I feel like I would be treading into the territory that you mentioned of is that. Well, am I just doing this so that I can put on my resume? I wrote a book once that that's not I, I want it to amount to something more than a checklist. It, it has to go somewhere other than that. Otherwise, I feel like there's so many other things. I could be doing with my time and energy um, with that said Tom is go ahead and take a minute or two to let everybody know if we haven't already uh, where they can go to follow you anything you might be promoting any links or anywhere you want to direct people to to get more Tom Woods
2: well the key thing is I have a million different websites and no
1: well people with
2: them uh, I would just emphasize because I'm telling you it is so satisfying to have all these charts that tell the real story about what happened, whether any of the stuff we did did any good, it is very satisfying to i, I to go through charts they forgot the the the, uh, the, the ebook uh, CNN uh, COVID charts CNN forgot. I did that because, you know, I I release a number of charts every almost every day in my newsletter, mm-hmm. and uh, then I run into somebody on Twitter who just doesn't you know who, who honestly thinks that he's he's helping by doing all these things and I, I wanted to have them all at my fingertips at once. And sure. this does it. I mean, it's okay. Maybe the first few, you're not totally convinced. And the fourth one, the fifth one, the sixth one, the seventh one, the eighth one, these are telling you something, you know, then there's the ninth one, the 10th one, the 11th one, the 12th, they are telling you something unmistakable. So if you do that, if you go to chartstheyforgot.com, you pick up the ebook, then it'll take you to a page that also tells you about my podcast. So, um, If you like what you see in there, you're going to love the Tom
1: Woods show. Coming up on 2,000 episodes, by the way. Darn right. (laughs) All right, Tom, we're going to get you out of here on this one. Now, the last time you were here, I asked you if a hot dog was a sandwich. But we've evolved far beyond such silly questions as that. So I'm going to ask you this. Is cereal, which would be a bowl of cereal with the milk poured in, is cereal... Cereal soup? Is cereal soup...
2: No. And I'll, okay. Now you may say, if somebody tries to say to you, uh, it can't be soup because it's cold, then you come back with what? Gazpacho, right? Go on. You say, you say Mm -hmm. that's a soup, right? Okay. Here's how you know, you know that cereal isn't a soup in the same way that you know a hot dog isn't a sandwich. Okay. You ready? Okay. Because in your heart, you know, you're just bullshitting people. (laughs)
1: I just I just want to mention really quick while I still have you here live on air that. So we had Walter Block here last week and I and and I asked him the same question. And, and Walter always gives great answers to anything you ask him. But in the process of the interview, he he called me a vicious bully for trying to browbeat him into asking answering questions he didn't want to answer. And so I, I just want you to know, because there was a. I'm I'm not going to mention the whole episode of you locking yourself out of your office, but I know for a fact you went on a program and you were telling someone about that situation and you said, and that bastard was recording the whole time. So I just want you to know, Tom, that when my book comes out on the book cover, it's going to have vicious bully, dash, dash, Walter Block and that bastard, dash, dash, Tom Woods.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, very good. Now, by the way, in parentheses, you know, there are Restaurants that specialize in soup and salad. Okay, not one of those restaurants has ever served you cereal. Is it because all of them are just ignorant of what cereal is? Like the the soup experts aren't as as expert on soup as you are. Come on.
1: So get more arguments from authority here on it's too late with Alan. Mostly from Tom Woods, Tom. All joking aside, thank you so much for being with us. I enjoyed this a lot. You should come back. Thanks, Alan. Guys, we will be right back after this break. Don't go away. Hi guys, it's Alan here, and I wanna take a moment to let you know about one of our supporters who started a new business. Laura Moreau sells 50 different health and wellness all-natural products from weight loss, supplements, energy enhancers, body toning, longer and stronger hair, and so much more. Do you like coffee? Well, they even have coffee that'll help you drop some pounds. And who doesn't want to drop a few pounds? Go check her out at our online store at lauramoreau.itworks.com today. That's lauramoreau.itworks.com. Like our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Allen TV. You can follow me on Twitter. It's twitter.com at Allenmosley TV. Subscribe to our YouTube page. It's youtube.com slash Allen TV. Guys, also don't forget, we're now on Odyssey. You can find us at odyssey.com, search Alan Mosley TV. It's too late with Alan Mosley, Alan Mosley. You you really can't go wrong with any of those, but we're over there on Odyssey. You can find our entire library. Don't just moan and groan about wanting a decentralized platform that won't cancel you and go do one. So we're on Odyssey. So there you go. Sherry, do you have any final thoughts?
0: I do, I came up with a poem. Okay. About rape.
1: (laughs) Go on. (laughs) <laughs> what a perfect way right? to end tom Woods' segment go ahead
0: yeah less than four you must adore more than four you must
1: abhor yes thank you so much and we will see you next week